Got a little gift here for you. I'm sure you should be reading it real soon. But here is a little Bible for you, Emily and Isabel. Here's a little Bible for you as well. Guys, thank you so much. And make sure that you are praying for Emily and Isabel as well. So thank you so much for being here today. And normally I would have had hands-on and all that kind of stuff like that, but I don't have to explain why I didn't do that this morning. So um, I am excited. I love getting to do the child baptism. I, lo- I love getting to be a part uh, of that part of a parent's and family's life, and I hope that you do as well. And as we see that, uh, I'm going to uh, talk about kids uh, we're going to dismiss them. Over here, I was almost going to keep them in here. I'm sorry about that. I get talking real fast. So I'm going to go ahead and send you guys all over there. Miss Lori standing over there by the door. So please head that way. And as you're heading that way, I want to welcome you here again. And thank you for joining us and being a part of the service, being a part of the worship, being a part of the dedication, both virtually and here in person, as we celebrate the glory of God, as we celebrate the glory of of Jesus. And today I'm going to come out of the gates with a controversial question, okay? I hope you're ready for this. I hope you're ready for a little bit of controversy. The controversy this controversy I'm going to talk about today has been going on for years, okay? And it actually fuel was added to the fire just this week. All right? So as you're sitting there, if you're a person who has a tendency to latch on just to one thing I say and can't let go of it, I apologize in advance for opening this way. I'm hoping you understand it's a part of my message. We have to bring controversy into it. We have to get the mind thinking. And here's that controversial question. Are you ready for it today? The question is, is who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Is it Michael Jordan? Or is it LeBron James, all right? Now, you might be thinking, I know you're thinking, what an inspiring, divisive question to start the service. It's dangerous, Matt. How can you possibly do something like that? You probably thought I was going to go politics, but I know better most times. Okay, but the thing is, is it Michael Jordan? Is it LeBron James? And we begin to think about that, and I want to say this before you tune out here or tune off on there that honestly, my love for sports and all things sports is at an all-time low. It hasn't been exactly my favorite thing going on right now. So honestly, in this debate, I don't care. <laughs> okay? And, and you're probably in the same boat. You're probably in the same boat. But it wouldn't have been that long ago that I would have sat down at some restaurant with lots of TVs and I would have gnawed on chicken wings with you and we could have debated this. And I would have cared at that point in time. See, when I grew up, I idolized sports stars. All sports, except for hockey, because I grew up in Phoenix, okay? So that wasn't exactly a thing when I was growing up. But here's the thing. I've told you before about my love of Cal Ripken and wanting to be Cal Ripken. You sprinkle in a little bit of Ken Griffey Jr. in there. You take a little Bo Jackson because he was a two-sport athlete. Wow, I could do that. And and this was something I, I desired to do. Football, when I was growing up, I'm going to say some names that some of you will recognize, some of you won't have any idea who I'm talking about, but Eric Dickerson and Marcus Allen, if I wanted to play running back, that's who I was going to try and be. If it was defense, it was Reggie White or Mike Singletary. If I was going to play wide receiver, you guys all know it had to be Jerry Rice. And if you were going to go along the lines of quarterback, you had your Joe Montana and your Dan Marino. That's who I want to be. But when it came to basketball, now let me preface something here, okay? Here's the truth, that when I grew up, 
the NBA was actually something special. Okay, and in that, again, that's probably a debatable statement. We can go grab some chicken wings and talk about it, okay? But here's the thing. When I grew up, it was the Showtime Lakers era. It was Magic Johnson against Larry Bird. That was the finals like every year. And it was something that everybody tuned into. And then there's this kid from North Carolina who comes in and starts to change things up. His name, Michael Jordan. And Michael Jordan was somebody everybody wanted to be like. As a matter of fact, if you grew up then, you might remember the Gatorade commercial of Be Like Mike. I dream I move. I dream I groove. I dream one day that that's who I get to be. But um bum bum bum. Come on. You guys remember the song. It was in the Gatorade commercial, and everybody wanted to be like Mike. If I could be like Mike. We watched his moves. We watched the VHS tapes of his documentaries and his how-tos. We sat and we wanted to be like Mike, even growing up in Phoenix where nobody really liked the Bulls because we had the Suns and we had Charles Barkley and the Bulls beat us in the 93 finals and we were really disappointed in that, so we really didn't like the Bulls, but we loved watching Michael Jordan because he was something special to watch. The more we watched, the more we imitated. The more we imitated, the more our playing styles began to be like Mike. We wanted to take the last shot. That's who we were. We wanted to dunk from the free throw line, even though we honestly couldn't dunk on an eight-foot rim. We wanted to dunk from the free throw. We wanted to glide through the air, that jump man pose. That's what we wanted. And all the time, the reality is, we were trying to imitate somebody that we were studying. The reality is in our lives, we do that whether it's Michael Jordan or not. We become what we behold. We become what we focus on. We become who we desire to be. And the question as it comes out, and the word behold, by the way, in case you're wondering, is to see or observe, to take in, to pay attention and to notice, we, we become what we focus our lives on. So the question this morning that I'm going to lay out there for you is what are you becoming? Who are you beholding? Thinking about the baby dedication this morning. As we think about that, it happens in parentings that as a kid, you behold, you observe, you take in, you pay attention to your parents. And as you do that, you start to become more like them. As a parent, it is a frightening and humbling reality that my kids are going to probably be like me. And for some of you, it's probably more frightening than humbling. To think that's the case, that's what's going to happen. And I have a 19-year-old, man, he's just like me. And I have a 14-year-old that's becoming more and more like me. And I'm like, please, guys, be more like your mother, Okay. It's, it's much better for you in your life. And the reality is that is what happens. We take that on in our lives. But it happens in other areas of our lives as well, doesn't it? The more we study someone, the more we listen to someone, the more we watch someone, whether it be in sports like an athlete, whether it be in entertainment like an actor, or whether it be even in politics, we take on those qualities and we begin to emulate or imitate them. 
And I mean, we naturally imitate the things that we focus on. And we start to pick up their mannerisms. The Bible actually has something to say about that. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The Apostle Paul actually writes these words. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and being transformed. See that word, being transformed? As we are looking into that mirror of the glory of the Lord, we're being changed into what? The same image. We're becoming like Him from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is in the Spirit. We become what we behold. Check out what it says just a few verses later in chapter 4, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. He tells us the Spirit opens our blind eyes so that we can see the light and the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Basically, he's lifting the veil off our hearts so that we can behold, and there's that word again, behold the glory of God. Why? Why does he do that? You want to know what the simplest answer is? So we can become like him. So we can become more like Jesus. Why? Well, we become what we behold. You behold yourself, you become more self-centered. You behold the world, you become more like the world. You behold Jesus, you become more like Jesus. It's really pretty simple, and it's not something that we can even debate because we see it in our lives every day. When we behold Jesus, we pick up more and more of his mannerisms. That is the goal. That is our desire. The more we behold Christ and the more we become like him, the more we, as Hebrews says, we talked about it last week, fix our eyes on that prize, the more we fix our attentions on him, the more we uh, fix our affections on him, the more we resemble his life. And that's the goal, isn't it? That's the goal of the Christian life, to become like him. That's the goal of discipleship. Have somebody pour into you so you can become more like Jesus. You pour into somebody else so they can become more like Jesus. That is the idea of a child dedication. We want them to become more like Jesus. Well, today we're going to be in the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 17. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love for you to open up. But I'm going to tell you, even as we've been going through this gospel project, we've told you the Old Testament, it points to Jesus. The New Testament gospels is about Jesus, and the New Testament after the gospels points back to Jesus. The whole story is about him. It's about him, and the goal is that we would behold him, that we would look at him, that we would pay attention to him, and then become more like him. More like him in his character, more like him in his love, more like him in his life. And the cool thing is, as we look at Matthew chapter 17 today, Matthew chapter 17 actually gives us a great picture of Jesus to look at, a great picture of Jesus to behold. As a matter of fact, the entire chapter actually gives us five portraits of Jesus to look at. But because of time and because you have the ability to do some studying, we're only going to look at the first one that's found in verses 1 through 9. But I would challenge you that if you have our Right Now media app or if you have the ability to get it, which you all should, there are tons of studies on the book of Matthew in this particular passage that will take it so much deeper. And I would love for you to do that and kind of feed yourself in that way. Use that app, please. 
But today, like I said, we're going to focus on the first picture found in Matthew chapter 17. And that first picture is this. It's a picture of Jesus' divine glory. For us to behold the divine glory of the Son. So if you have your Bibles with you, I would love you to be in Matthew chapter 17. We're going to read verses 1 through 9 together. Here's what it says. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. He was transfigured in front of them, and his face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as the light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. I will set up three shelters here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But while he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well. Please listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down and were terrified. Jesus came up, touched them, and said, Get up, don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anyone about the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you to speak to us in these words. Even as I studied this week, I, I was trying to figure out, God, what would you want us to see? What would you want us to apply to our lives? And I was drawing a blank, but you drew me into this application of being like Christ. And God, I pray that's what we get today. I pray that it's not my words, but instead your words. Speak to our hearts. Challenge them to be more like you. We pray them all this in your name. Amen. So the first thing I want you to see here is there's a word in the middle of this. Some translations say transfigured. Some translations say the word transformed. What does that mean? What does it look like to be transfigured? What does it look like to be transformed? Well, to be transformed means to be changed. So is it the same to be transfigured? I thought, you know, maybe the best way to explain it is to give a little example. And so the first examples I thought of were, of course, movies, because that's where I tend to go. And the first person I thought of was Star Wars. In Star Wars, A New Hope, there's a guy by the name of Ben Kenobi. Maybe you know Ben Kenobi. He lived on Tatooine. He was an old, crazy hermit that lived in the desert, right? But underneath that burlap sack of a robe stood a Jedi Knight. And in the middle of it all, we get to see him revealed as a Jedi Knight. And I thought, you know, that's a decent example, but maybe there's a better one out there. So I went more along my childhood superhero, and that is Superman. And Superman has goofy Clark Kent, clumsy Clark Kent, hidden behind a pair of glasses, because that obviously changes everything for a superhero, hidden behind that. And when it came time for him to be revealed, just like Obi-Wan dropped the burlap sack of a, of a cloak, he, tie comes off, the shirt comes out and buttoned, and of course you see the S. And Superman has appeared. It's completely different than obviously Clark Kent. What one person assumed he was, he became known as something else. Same thing with Obi-Wan Kenobi, so on and so forth. But then I thought, you know what? Let's look at something maybe a little more practical. A little more something that you see in a regular life. Maybe you're not a movie person. Maybe you're one of those people who likes to watch those talent shows, like your American Idols, or 
maybe your voice or America's Got Talent. Those are pretty popular ones, and, and each one of them generally have a hook to keep you locked in, to keep you watching. And as you're watching, you begin to see that hook is they put someone on stage. It looks like they probably shouldn't be there, but man, all of a sudden they sing and something happens. Well, this happened in Britain's Got Talent. And in Britain's Got Talent, the, a woman by the name of Susan Boyle, maybe you remember this story, maybe you've seen it. Susan Boyle came out, she walks on the stage. She wasn't exactly what you'd expect a person of talent to look like. It, it, they didn't have that, that glow about whatever it might be. She was kind of that homely look, and they're like, oh, no way. And the judges treated her as such. They kind of talked to her like, oh, we're ready to be unimpressed oh, we're going to talk down to you. They're a bit condescending in the way that it was. And finally, she got to sing. And she sings a song, and it's called I Dreamed a Dream from Les Mis. And after the first phrase, after they all had sat back with their arms crossed, after the first phrase, they all leaned forward and were jaw-dropped shocked. They couldn't believe the voice that was coming out. It was clear. It was beautiful. Everything from from their disgusted looks in their face became smiles. And, and it led to tears, and it led to a standing ovation for this woman. She was literally transfigured right in front of them. And I use that word because it was unexpected. They didn't see it coming. She was transfigured. Who she really was became known. Who she really was became known. She wasn't just transformed. She didn't magically or miraculously have the ability to sing when she grabbed the mic. It's when that mic was used as a tool to show who she really was. And we see that begin to change. Her life was fully revealed. But when we look at today's text, something similar happens. We understand that Jesus was not an unknown. We've been talking about all the things that he's done over the last handful of weeks, the teachings that he's had, the miracles that he's had, the healings that he's done, all of these things. They saw him as a great teacher. They saw him as a great healer. And they've even deduced, as we said last week, surely this man is the son of God. But they've never seen anything quite like they're going to see today. They've never seen anything quite happen like this. We know who Jesus is. So the same thing's kind of true for us. We get to experience Jesus, some of you have known Jesus what seems like your entire lives. But have we allowed ourselves to be open to who Jesus really is? We have this small version, the cloaked version, the version that we want to keep in a box, but have we seen who Jesus really is? Are we willing to recognize in his glory that he is going to change us, that he is going to work in us and through us in a way that we will never be able to fathom, in a way that we'll never even be able to imagine. Will we be there? What will that look like? I asked you that because this phrase right here, business as usual is no longer possible after you've seen the glory of God revealed in your life. You cannot go back to being the same when Jesus has revealed himself to you. So my question again goes back, what are you beholding and has he revealed himself to you? If you haven't been changed, then you might want to rethink your answer. 
If he isn't working in you, you might want to think your answer. See, we've said it before, there isn't a person that has ever met Jesus that didn't walk away changed. Look throughout scripture. Some walked away angry, some walked away better. But everybody is changed when they meet him. And when he reveals his glory, you have to be prepared to be different. You have to be. In the text, Jesus goes up the mountain. He goes up the mountain with three disciples. He goes up with Peter and James and John, his kind of inner circle. And my guess is, is if I'm like them, Peter has a tendency to be like me or vice versa. I'm like him. And you just assume you know what's taking place. You just assume that you know that Jesus is taking us up there because he wants solitude and he wants us to pray and he wants us to go on. But then, right then and there at that mountain, he is transfigured. He is changed in front of them. It wasn't at all what they were expecting. It wasn't at all what they were expecting. That mountaintop solitude prayer thing got completely flipped upside down. And there before his eyes, like I said, he is transfigured. His face said, shone like the sun. His clothes were so bleached white, they were like light. They were seeing Jesus in all of his glory. In all of his glory. And things, as we might say, business as usual, would never be the same. They would never be the same. And then suddenly, boom, a couple more guests show up. Those couple more guests, Moses and Elijah. And in the process of Moses and Elijah, they start talking with Jesus. Now, maybe you're like me, and you look at that, and you're like, oh, what were they talking about? That's the first question that pops in your mind. And Matthew doesn't really go into the detail, but Luke 9 and Mark 9 go into just a little bit more detail. But what exactly was it they were talking about? And then, Here's another question I had. How did the disciples know who they were? Because, I mean, they weren't there when they were around the first time, so how, I mean, did, did the Holy Spirit talk to them, or did they go, hello, I'm Moses, hello, I'm Elijah? You know, I, I don't know exactly all of those little details, but even a bigger question that I asked myself was this. Why were they there, and why did it matter? Why did Jesus do all this? What was the point behind it? What was the significance of their visit. And I think in answering that, we can see a little bit deeper into this passage about Jesus and what he's revealing. See, first we have Moses. Moses, he represents the law of God. He represents the law of God. In Exodus chapter 33, God meets Moses. You know where? Also on a mountain. You're going to see that be a common theme throughout all of what we're going to talk about today. He meets Moses on a mountain to give him the law for God's people. You know what Moses asks God? Hey, can I see your glory? And God says, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to shove you in the crevice of a rock, all right? And then I'm going to cover your face with my hand, and then I'm going to pass by, and you can look at my backside as I walk by, because if you look me in the face, you're going to die. Now, that wasn't exactly the translation. That, that was my own personal little thing there. You can check it out in Exodus chapter 33, verses 18 through 23. But he asked to see it, and so he gets to see the glory of God passed by. Moses goes back down the mountain. He's got the tablets, the Ten Commandments in hand. And as he gets down the mountain, something happened to him. As a matter of fact, we're going to pick it up in chapter 34 of Exodus 29. I'm uh, sorry, chapter 34, verse 29. It says, As Moses descended from Mount Sinai with two tablets of the testimony in his hands, and he descended the mountain, he did not realize that the skin of his face shone as a result of speaking with the Lord. 
When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. They were afraid to come near him, but Moses called out to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community returned to him, and Moses spoke to them. Afterwards, the Israelites came near, and he commanded them to do everything the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. But when Moses went before the Lord to speak with them, he would remove that veil, kind of going back to that whole 2 Corinthians thing, right? Until he came out. After he came out, he would tell the Israelites what had been commanded, and the Israelites would see that Moses' face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went to speak to the Lord. What we need to see here is this. Moses reflected the divine glory. He reflected the divine glory. He saw the glory of God, and guess what? It changed him. And not only did it change him, people saw the change, didn't they? A literal, physical, light-shining face, got to wear a veil so people aren't scared of me, kind of change. This is what we see take place. So first we have Moses, and he represents the law, but next we have Elijah. Elijah didn't represent the law of God. He represented the prophets of God. And as he represents the prophets of God, Moses reflected the divine glory, but Elijah proclaimed the divine glory. And as he proclaimed the divine glory, I think one of the best examples of that proclamation is probably one of my favorite Old Testament stories found in, in 1 Kings 18, and that's when he challenges the prophets of Baal. And while he's on that mountaintop and he calls down fire, and also his response in 1 Kings 19. See, in 1 Kings 18, he, he confronts those prophets. And as he confronts those prophets, again, you know where it took place at? Another mountain. And so we see this long story short, fire comes down from heaven, answers a prayer. Everybody's like, wow, God is awesome. Look at the way that he revealed himself. And the way that he answers prayers. But then in 1 Kings 19, you know what happens? Elijah forgets how awesome God is, and he flees for his life because of Jezebel. And in the midst of fleeing for his life, he goes to, yet again, another mountain, and God reveals himself into a new way. He just saw God reveal himself through fire and answering of prayer, but then you know how he answers himself, or reveals himself to, to Elijah in the next passage? Through a whisper. Through a whisper. It's not just a big show. Sometimes it's something as small as a whisper. It's a great story. I would suggest go back on YouTube or go back in our podcast or go back to Right Now Media and check it out because we've talked about it in more depth than we can this morning. But God revealed himself. First, he revealed his glory to Moses by passing by. But then we see Elijah through fire and through a whisper. They're revealed all happening on mountains, as crazy as that is, as their lives were changed, people saw it. People saw it all around. So first we have Moses and him or reflecting the glory of God. Then we have Elijah who is proclaiming that divine glory of God. But then there's Jesus. Then there's Jesus. And you have that third person on the hill. Jesus, as a fulfillment of the law, that Moses is representing, and a fulfillment of the prophets that Elijah is representing, he now reveals the divine glory. You had reflected, you had proclaimed, but now Jesus reveals. And I want to emphasize that word reveals because it's not just reflecting like Moses did. It's not like 
the moon reflecting the sun for that sort of light. And it's not just proclaiming like Elijah did. Jesus was and is the revelation of God's glory. He's not just some mirror of God's glory, as we saw in that 2 Corinthians passage, or an imitator of it. He is the glory of God. And see, the cool thing is we get to see, I told you the last couple of weeks, when you see other passages, it kind of gives us a little bit more to put the story together. But one of the guys that was on that hill was John. And John writes the Gospel of John. And in the process of writing the Gospel of John, he opens up with a statement that I want to share with you. It says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Saying, hey, I want you to see they are the same. But then skipping down to verse 14, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed His glory. We observed His glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And if you even jump down to verse 18, nobody's ever seen God, but Jesus, being God, has revealed Him. Whose glory is it? It's His glory. It's Jesus' glory. Jesus is greater. Jesus is greater. He's on this hill, and you have Moses, and you have Elijah, who are big deals in the Old Testament, but Jesus is greater. As a matter of fact, that's what the book of Hebrews is all about. But as we see that he's not just reflecting or proclaiming that he is it, it reminds us that Jesus is above all others. And the reason why that is such a big deal is that Peter tries to bring them all to the same level. And he tries to bring them all to the same level. He says, I'm going to build a tent for you and you and you, and we're going to make sure this is all taken care of, that everybody is on the same level. And I think that's the reason why God literally shuts him up mid-sentence and says, this is my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Shut up and listen to him. I don't know if he said shut up, but I'm pretty sure it's in there. It just was taken out because we have a little bit more conservative Bible translations than than normal. The, The reality is, God's like, don't try and bring other things up to the level of Jesus. And sometimes I need to hear that too. Sometimes I just need to shut up and listen to him. Stop trying to bring other things up to the level of Jesus. Make it all about him. Make a big deal about him in life. And that's something I think we all need to grasp, that Jesus is above all. And we see that as he reveals his divine glory. He reveals that glory, and we see him above all, and this glory is unveiled. But there's a handful of different ways we see it, even in these nine short verses. And the first one is this. Jesus, he reveals this as he radiates the splendor of God. He reveals God's glory as he radiates the splendor of God. Because he's glowing. That's a pretty big deal. I mean, some of you have said, oh, I love pregnancy. You just have that glow about you. You know, that's not the glow we're talking about, okay? He is literally like, ah! and there's light all around. His face is shining. His clothes are bleached white. The whole thing is there. It's like when Ben Kenobi pulls back that robe and becomes the Jedi Knight. Well, he's not even becoming. He already was one. He was revealed as one. God is revealing his son as who he is. As a matter of fact, in Philippians 2, verse 7, it kind of talks about that same burlap cloak that Kenobi puts on, but instead it says this. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. See, he veiled himself in that human flesh. He veiled himself in that burlap sack of of human flesh to cover up what? 
the glory of God. And on that mountain, they got to see it revealed. The book of Hebrews that I've already kind of touched on tells us in chapter three of, or sorry, chapter one, verse three, says Jesus is the radiance of his glory and that exact expression of his nature. He was revealed. He radiates the splendor of God in that revealing. He also reveals this to us as he unveils the presence of God. See, God comes in a giant cloud. And the crazy thing is, is this isn't the only time we see God show up in a cloud, by the way. Throughout the Old Testament, he shows up in a cloud. And he reveals himself to those around Jesus in this way. So he also reveals this glory in the fact that he embodies the pleasure of God. He embodies the pleasure of God. This is my beloved son with whom I am well. Please listen to him. Where have we heard that before? The baptism of Jesus. When Jesus gets baptized and the dove comes down on his shoulder, this is the exact same words that God says. God's saying, I like what I see. But he also reveals it as this. He speaks the words of God. Three words I've already touched on. Three words you could probably do an entire sermon on. Listen to him. Listen to him. Maybe God is directing that straight at Peter who is busy talking before thinking. I'm telling you, I I live in that world a lot of times. But maybe he's doing that, but maybe we also can see it's God's way of saying, my son, the one who is fulfilling the prophecies, the one who fulfilled the prophecy of Deuteronomy 18, 15, when it says, a prophet will be raised up from among you that you must listen to, Maybe that's it. Maybe it's both of them. We don't know exactly, but as we look at it, I think we could really seriously focus on those three words. Listen to him. What voices are we listening to? And I'm saying we could go deep into that. We can go deep into all different sorts of things just in this chapter 17. But because of time and because we have the ability to study on our own at home, which I would strongly encourage you to do, I just want to wrap up this passage with a little application. And that application goes back to that 2 Corinthians verse that I talked about when I opened up. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. I'll read it for you again. We all, with unveiled faces, are looking as in a mirror. And that word right there is, in some translations, behold. Looking at, looking intently at, focusing on, observing. We are looking as in a mirror at the glory of God and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. See, Paul says that we behold the glory of God. And as we behold the glory of God, we are transformed, we are changed slowly and gradually over time from glory to glory. Behold means to see or observe, to take in, to pay attention to, and to notice. Or, as this passage says, looking as in a mirror. Glory is the magnificence or great beauty of God. So when Paul says that we're supposed to behold the glory of God with unveiled faces, you know what he's referring back to? I've already kind of mentioned it. Exodus chapter 34. That passage that we've already read. As we read it, that story is literally a picture of how looking at God in all of his infinite glory will change us. It it will affect us. It changes us. And people should see it. God is more glorious than anything else that he has created and therefore is more worthy of our attention than anything else created. We know that. Most of you heard me say it and went, "Uh uh-huh. But do we do it? 
do we look at him with that same worthiness? He is supremely and unimaginably worth looking at. Beyond anything else, God is the ultimate source of glory in the universe, and we need to focus on him. We need to listen to him. And even though we might not use the words, I think every single one of us know that we are hardwired to behold glory. We are hardwired. We love to admire and talk about the things that are amazing. We love to talk about the things that are magnificent. We love to talk about the good and great things in this world, from sunsets to athletic feats to amazing, crazy things they do on YouTube. We will talk about those things. But when it all comes down to it, do you realize that he is the glory beyond and behind every other glory? We want to look at those things, but it's because we have been hardwired to look to him. That is who we are. That is what we are. In the act of beholding the glory of God with the help of God's indwelling spirit, as it says in 2 Corinthians 3, is actually what changes us. The Holy Spirit is what changes us as we are looking at him to be transformed from one degree to another. The image of Christ is what we become. Not in his divine nature, but in his character. And the people of God that God created us to be is how we begin to change. As we even look back at that baby dedication, we can try really hard, but without focusing on Christ, it's going to matter not. The problem is, even though our souls were made to behold God's glory, distraction turns our attention to lesser things. Distraction. We all know what distraction is. We all know when our phone dings and pulls us away from something that is important or, or something makes this... I, I was studying my message last night, and as I was, I, I just had in the background the, uh, the Alabama-Georgia game, and of course I kept looking up and kept looking up, and I'm like, I just got to turn it off because I don't care about that, and this is where I need my focus. When we're, when we're distracted, it takes us away from the thing that we need to focus on. Distraction keeps us from becoming the people that, that have their faces towards Jesus and shine with that glory. So here is a tough question. What distraction are you beholding and becoming like that is not Christ? What distraction are you beholding and becoming like that isn't Christ? What thing is saying, hey, look over here. Look over, hey, hey, look over here. I know you're trying to focus on Jesus. We all try really hard, don't we? Kind of like the Avis commercials, we try harder. But there's always something. Over here, over here, look over here. What is that thing that is saying, look over here and causing you to miss seeing Jesus and causing you to miss being changed by Jesus? It could be money. You know, when we hold money, we become more greedy, don't we? We become more stingy, don't we? Instead of becoming more like Christ, we become more like that money. Is it power? Is it prestige? Is it social media likes? Is it politics? You know, one of the things that, that I, I've really kind of noticed about the political thing, uh, I was talking with some guys about signs getting stolen out of yards. I said, what is the purpose of a sign anyways? There's no sign that can go in somebody's yard that says, you know what, I like the way their front yard looks, so therefore I'm going to vote the way they want to vote. Really, a sign is, is kind of a tribalism saying, this is where I stand, and if you don't like it, tough. It actually is dividing our neighborhoods rather than bringing them together. Or dividing our people. And, and have you seen 
how much we're becoming like our candidates too often rather than becoming like Jesus. It needs to be about Jesus. We have to focus on him. Are you beholding those things and becoming like them, or are you beholding Jesus and becoming like him? It's kind of like what we talked about last week. If you were with us, we talked about Peter walking on the water. When he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. When we take our eyes off of Jesus, we become more like the thing we start looking at. We begin to sink away from him. We need to understand that the way to become more like him is to fix our eyes on his glory and continually hold him in view. That is our challenge, because as we do, we need to remember that last statement, business as usual. Business as usual is no longer possible after you've seen the glory of God revealed in your life. So, if you are living in business as usual, you might not be focusing on the right thing. Please, look to Jesus and be changed by him. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. And thank you for the way you continue to work. And God, as you work in us, I pray that it's helping us reflect you and see others changed in the process. God, you're so good. You're so merciful. You're so kind. We want to be like that. We want those things revealed in our lives. God, may you be lifted up today and may our lives be a reflection of that. As we walk out of here today, as we walk through our regular routine, our business as usual this week, and reveal yourself to us. And not just in some small way, but God, something big that shines through us and allows us to see that business as usual is no longer okay. That we are going to be different and we're going to be different for you. We pray it in your name. Amen. I'm going to slide over here on this set of chairs. And if you'd like to talk to me about Meeting Jesus, I would love to talk to you about that, about who Jesus is, about what Jesus does, about how he works in our lives, and how you can be different because of it. But if you already know that, I would suggest, even during this last song, to talk with Jesus, to, to be on that, that conversation level with him and say, God, Jesus, I just want to be more like you. Change me. Let my distractions get out of the way and change me into who you want me to be. I'll be over there to pray with you as we sing this last song.